Welcome to podcast number 19 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a monthly program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, including taxes in your service model and loving it. ACP is often described as the community of tax-focused financial planners operating under the retainer model. That term, tax-focused, sometimes has advisors wondering whether they have to include tax preparation in their practices to be ACP members. Our tax focus doesn't mean that our practices have to include tax preparation. But if, like many other advisors, you've come to the profession from the investment or insurance world, you may not have a lot of experience advising clients on their taxes, and it may leave you wondering whether you want to include tax in your practice or whether you prefer to provide everything else with no tax advice. Some advisors, like me, who founded their practices thinking they'd steer clear of tax preparation or in-depth tax planning, have eventually changed our minds and have found in the process that we're able to provide more to our clients. And our clients, as a result, are even more grateful for our help. So should you include taxes in your financial planning practice? Our guest today is Timothy Caban, EACFP, founder of Copper Beach Advisors with offices in Malvern, Pennsylvania. When Tim founded his practice in 2009, He didn't think he'd devote as much focus to tax as he does now, but today he's here to tell us why he wouldn't have it any other way. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ken. It's great to be with you. So uh, you've been a currency trader and an equity trader. You've worked for a private bank. What made you want to make the transition to financial planning? I uh, started in the financial industry in 1996 when I graduated from college. And I worked in New York City in some some big banks. And during that time, there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of mergers in in banks. And so what that led to was a lot of layoffs. And I didn't really enjoy that. I don't think anybody did. And I was looking for a, a better way to basically have a good quality of life. And I think that also expanded as I got married and then had one child and two children. And I was looking for a better way to raise our family and also for me to be more independent and less subject to all the machinations of the, the banking industry. So you made a start in the financial planning world and then eventually decided you wanted to open your own practice. Once you'd had a taste of financial planning, what led you to want to open your own practice? The financial planning aspect was really driven with my own journey to figure out how to manage my own finances and then to realize that, that I could actually make a business out of helping other people do that. Uh, and then also the reason to do my own business was that I figured that even if I was a, a high producer at a big private bank or other places, I would only keep a portion of the revenue that I generated. And I would have the same risk, in my opinion, in terms of having to get clients so to me, it was a better financial proposition to have my own business and 
I don't think I lost anything in terms of the risk and I gained a lot of benefits through that. So I know when I opened my practice a bit over 20 years ago, I was pretty wary of taxes. I was trying to figure out how I would do this without providing that level of tax focus. What was your experience like as you were opening your business and and what were your thoughts about including tax in your practice? Well, I think there were two key formative experiences that I had as I came into opening my own practice with regard to taxes. The first was preparing my own personal taxes. And I had done that for a number of years when I was single. And I it started to get a little more complex when I got married. And I always remember that my wife used to have to leave our apartment when I was doing taxes because there would be a lot of expletives said because of the frustration. And I used a tax program, a common tax program that was interview-based. So it would ask me questions that sometimes were yes or no answers. And as I answered those questions, I never really understood the ramifications of what was happening on the tax return because of the way I answered the questions. And I would then go back to look at the tax return and then to try to look backwards at which question do I need to change to change the result on the taxes. So that was the first piece of my tax experience that kind of made me have an aversion to taxes. Then there was another piece where at a certain point in my career there, my wife and I started earning higher incomes. And so I thought I would try having a CPA file our taxes. And that involved me going to a local office that had a secretary who took my papers. And I didn't really see the CPA until the end of the process. And it was a very quick experience, kind of akin to visiting a doctor today where you're kind of rushed through. And what I found was that the two CPAs that I used over two successive years made mistakes on my tax return where we needed to amend the return. And it wasn't because they weren't competent people, but I think, again, in retrospect, looking at it, I think they just didn't really understand me in depth and they're working off the numbers they have and understandable. I think in one case, I might have forgotten to give them a piece of, of document. In another case, they didn't reflect it properly. So hiring a CPA to do my taxes wasn't really living up to what I had hoped it to be. So you're even more, more averse to taxes, even with professional help. Yes. And then the other piece of the, the, maybe it's really three pieces that made me averse to taxes. It was my experience at a major private bank in New York City. And it was very common during the five years that I worked there to have, you could walk basically to any desk and hear somebody saying, I can't give you an, an answer on that because that's tax advice and you have to talk to your tax advisor. And what I remember is that this private bank had one person who I heard, I actually never saw this person in person, but I heard through the grapevine that he had worked at the IRS at some point in his past. And I don't believe he was a tax attorney. So I don't know if he was a CPA or an enrolled agent. What I understood from my own perspective was that person, that man was overwhelmed with questions to the point that... Nobody was allowed to ask him a question. 
and you had to submit it in email and you might never get an answer. It, it gave the impression to me that only certain very qualified people could do taxes or give an answer. And it was like this type of rarefied individual. And how would I ever get there? I didn't see myself. I, I heard that the guy worked at the IRS. So I'm like, how am I going to do that? So I didn't really think I could reach that level of expertise. Yeah. I know when I started my business, I did not know what an enrolled agent was and had no idea that I could study and acquire a certain level of expertise that would, you know, that would make me a a tax expert to the point that I could add value for my clients. Here you are now as an EA. Now you are one of those people with the tax expertise. Is it as rarefied as you had imagined or is it easier to acquire that expertise than you had thought? It was actually easier than I had thought. The way that I acquired it was taking the test that many people take if you don't work directly for the IRS, which I think is the only other way to to get the credential. But it was a three-part test that I took the same way you take things like the SAT and that type of thing. And so having at the time been through the CFP program to achieve that, relative to the effort it took to achieve the CFP, the enrolled agent was easier from my perspective. And since it was broken into three pieces that you could take on three different days of your choosing, it it really wasn't that difficult for me to achieve that when I was doing it. Thinking back though to before that time when you were still thinking of taxes as being this really rarefied matter that required an enormous amount of expertise that would be seemingly impossible to acquire. Then you go to found your own business and you were wary of including taxes in your service offering. What made you change your mind? It it really was the brain trust, so to speak, in ACP, my fellow advisors who were more experienced than I was. And they told me to just start doing taxes and that I should should do taxes. They didn't say I should consider it. They said, you should do taxes. And I basically took their advice. So I just started out at the, and I started my practice from scratch. I had zero clients. So I started out doing my own tax return and doing my first client, couple of clients tax returns. And I just did trial by fire. And I One valuable thing at the time was having that brain trust of fellow advisors to not only answer my questions or point me in the right direction as I was starting doing taxes, but just to provide moral support and give me the encouragement that I was doing the right thing. I think my experience was was pretty similar. I was very hesitant to say anything other than, well, you'll need to talk with your tax advisor about that. But I was encouraged by our colleagues in ACP to get really conversant with our clients' tax returns. And once I understood what their tax returns were like, I realized, well, preparing taxes is, that's the big deal in the client's eyes. And it does help to make the client relationship more resilient. It makes it a stickier relationship if if you're doing their taxes. But to me, that's not where we're adding most of the value. It's in the tax planning where I feel like we're adding so much more value and the client 
gets much more out of that. So tell me about how you've integrated taxes into your practice. I This isn't something that you just discuss with your clients as April 15 approaches, is it? Absolutely not. And I think, just like you said, tax planning is a huge value add to the work that I do with clients because in my experience, very few tax preparing businesses do active tax planning. And that is, I can say that by working with many clients who've come from other preparers and they're not, they're not bad. They're not, they're very competent people, but it's just not the way they operate their business. So when we start doing tax planning, which means to calculate your taxes now during the year and not only identify different things that we can do to improve your tax result based on your goals and your values and what's important to you, but also to reduce the surprise that used to occur for me and for many of my clients when they go to file their taxes. Because we work on getting the the withholding correct and sending the right amount of money in so that they know what to expect. And even if they know that they're going to expect a big bill at tax time, just knowing that really reduces their their level of anxiety. We find the same thing. Most of the time, clients come to us having only looked at taxes through a rearview mirror. And there's very little you can do after the end of the year. So uh, we refer to this time of the year not as tax season, but as tax filing season. Uh, We say tax season starts on January 1 and runs through December 31. Because so many decisions that our clients make between those two dates affect the tax return for that year. So we, we want to encourage them to be thinking about tax consequences more than just when they're preparing their returns. Can you give us some examples of how your tax guidance is different from what your clients would experience if they went to, say, a CPA for tax advice and to a financial planner for everything else? Part of the big difference, I think, is that we have a holistic view, a view about the entire picture, including investments, including real estate. And it's very easy then to tie all the pieces together because I think one of the challenges maybe for even a CPA trying to do tax planning, and they may do it well, but if you don't have the information to be able to put into the tax plan, that is an impediment to good results. So part of it is the way that we do we approach things and have a very overarching view of all the pieces of the client's financial life that really allows us to give very detailed and and very valuable advice on their whole situation. We speak of our role in our clients' lives as standing with the client at the center of their financial life to help them coordinate all these disparate things. And on your website, Tim, you note that a lot of the time people are making financial decisions as if each subject is in isolation, that the estate planning comes from one source and the tax advice may come from another source and the investment advice may come from a third source and none of them are talking to each other. And instead, the idea of 
being at the hub of the financial life right next to the client, helping them guide them through potential conflicts with those different subjects is it adds a dimension that even a lot of very professional tax preparation firms just can't because they're not involved with a client that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, as I say, the buck stops with me is a very valuable piece because it doesn't mean that we don't work with other advisors or other groups where you need to get answers. But the main thing is that I'm never going to say that you you have to talk to somebody else to get the answer. I accept ultimate responsibility for giving the client an answer in the context of all these different things. And I think that sometimes maybe might be what's lacking in other types of uh, arrangements. Sure. There may be subspecialized questions where we genuinely aren't the right people to provide the answer. But if we then send them to, for example, the estate planning lawyer who says, here are the two choices you have about how you might try to achieve your goal, then we can help the client interpret those in the context of the rest of their life to help them decide which of those makes better sense for them in terms of their taxes or in terms of their cash flow or in terms of their life goals or you know whatever else may be applicable from their overall financial plan. After adopting tax planning into my practice, which, you know, like you, I did very early on. I have been surprised at how wide-ranging that question about taxes can be. There's not a single part of the financial planning process that hasn't, at one time or another, related back to income tax liability, whether it's uh, cash flow or estate planning or life planning and goal setting, it's really surprising how pervasive taxes are. And it kind of makes me think of that old saying that a fish doesn't know that it swims in water. And we have taxes all around us all the time, maybe so much that we don't realize how ever present it is. Absolutely. It really does touch every aspect of a client's life. And just being so knowledgeable about their situation together with the tax knowledge allows you to become a, a very trusted and relied upon advisor. What are some examples of tax planning guidance you've been able to give to clients that they likely would not have gotten from a traditional tax preparation relationship? One thing that stands out with a portion of my client base who have executive stock compensation is to be able to explain why a client like that might always owe a large balance when they go to file their taxes. And typically, many people will come to me when they have stock options or even restricted stock, and they are in a high tax bracket. But when those types of compensation come onto their tax return through exercise, the withholding on that income is what's called statutory withholding. So you might be in the 35% or the 37 or 39% bracket, but the withholding on that compensation is at 22%. And that just by definition generates a huge gap. And when people don't have somebody to explain that to them, then they end up just getting angry when they owe, they could owe, I have clients that would owe $50,000, $100,000 when they file their taxes and they have the income to support it, but it 
it really gets them angry. Again, I think because of lack of understanding and just helping to build that understanding and then be being able to deliver a remedy to that is huge. Yeah, I uh, I see the same thing with people who have taken money from a qualified plan or from their IRA, and then later in the year they're coming to consult with us and to see about becoming clients. And they'll say, well, you know, I know we had this unusual situation where I'm not yet 59 and a half and I had to take some money out of this plan, but it's okay. We paid the taxes on that already. The taxes were withheld before I got the money. And we have to explain there were taxes withheld when you got that money, but it's not necessarily enough to cover the liability that that withdrawal has caused. And sometimes you can see the real surprise in their in their faces when you explain that uh, you may have a pretty big check yet to write, uh, but if they're in front of you before the end of the year, there's a lot more that you can do to try to mitigate the uh, unpleasantness of that. Absolutely. Just an example of that, which is doing Roth conversions. And this is something that many different types of advisors do and have done for the last 20 years since the Roth came into being. But the sensitivity of clients when they when they reach a Medicare age to not having their Part B premium increase because of the Roth conversion. And I've learned over time that that is a huge issue for people. And this may even be people that have, they have plenty of assets. They don't have to worry about running out of money. But if, if you don't pay attention to that Medicare threshold and their premium goes from 144 and change to a month to 167 a month, they get angry. And so even little details like that, if you're not totally integrated and you're looking at a very simple tax taxable income bracket chart when you're doing Roth conversions, there are thresholds that you may trip along the way, which could be anything from Medicare to student loan or American Opportunity Credit for college payments that really can leave a bad taste in the client's mouth if they're not aware of it. And if you didn't pay attention to it and they end up paying a higher dollar amount as a result, even if the higher dollar amount is only like 10 or 20 bucks. We found the same thing that when that uh, income related monthly adjustment amount for Medicare Part B and Part D has been a surprise, it's the surprise that's the much bigger issue than the dollar amount of that increased premium. And it's been really encouraging to see how uh, lately there are there's more tax planning software and other kinds of resources that make it easier for someone who's thinking beyond just, let me get this tax return complete and out the door. It makes it easier for us to make sure that we're sharing that information with clients well ahead of time so that they can perhaps make a different decision about whether or not they want to do a Roth conversion. Sometimes once they know they're going to go past one of those uh, thresholds for higher Medicare costs, they say, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's not convert $50,000. Let's go ahead and convert $100,000 because I can do that without tripping the next tripwire in that graduated list of increased premiums. 
another Irma issue that we encounter here in Ohio, uh, we have sort of an unusual graduated tax system that doesn't make a distinction between filing separately or filing jointly. So in some cases, you can save some significant state income tax by filing separately, even if you're paying a bit more on the federal return to do so. But if you don't take account of the fact that those Medicare adjustments are going to be much more uh, expensive if you are filing separately, you can end up making a decision that's right on the taxes and completely wrong for the bottom line. It is a bit intricate and there is some stuff to learn, but no one else seems to be really paying attention to this for most of our clients, except the comprehensive planner who's you know, standing with them at the center of their financial lives. Yeah, I agree with you. And it sounds like a, a trite statement to say that only the comprehensive planner really is paying attention to everything. But in reality, it really is true. And, you know, even that situation you mentioned in Ohio, it's the same thing in Delaware. I'm outside of Philadelphia, so close to the Delaware border. And I have clients that, that cross the border for work and different things. And paying attention to those details really can just generate not just value, but such goodwill to clients when you reduce or even just eliminate the surprises and the angst and the, the displeasure associated with surprise tax results. So we we mentioned earlier about your becoming an enrolled agent and what that experience was like, and that authorizes you, legally speaking, to do lots of different kinds of things. But are there limits to what you feel you want to get involved in when it comes to taxes? Are there kinds of returns you won't do like corporate returns or partnership returns or things like that? Absolutely. And the limitations that I set for myself through the help of my colleagues in ACP have really stood the test of time. And I only learned that years later. So when I started, a very experienced ACP member told me something to the effect of, as a professional, you should never practice above your level of competence. Multiple people said that I should really think twice before doing S-Corp or C-Corp returns and just focus on Schedule C. So I do individual returns and I go up to Schedule C, but I don't do S-Corp and I don't do partnership or C-Corporation. And that is because of my, my background coming into it as an enrolled agent versus somebody who's been a CPA for a long time and that type of thing. We have a very similar approach. We say we will only do tax returns that we are expert in, and that's the Form 1040 and the associated forms and schedules. We wouldn't do enough of different kinds of returns like partnership or S-corp returns to be an expert in those returns. And it's similar to what we tell clients about why we insist that they have their taxes professionally prepared. If they're working with a CPA that they really like, we're not going to insist that they stop working with them. Uh, we tell them we don't insist that we prepare your taxes. We just insist that your taxes be professionally prepared because you should not be a once a year expert in a tax code that's ever changing and thousands of pages long. Absolutely. And I had a recent conversation with a colleague in NAPFA, 
who's a fellow financial planner in my area who happens to be a CPA. And I was talking to him and I said, he asked me what kind of taxes I did. And I gave the same answer. And I said, somebody told me early on not to do S Corp and C Corp. And he said to me, he's a CPA and he was a CPA beforehand and he does those returns. And he said, they couldn't have given you better advice. But I was, I was so happy to hear that now, 10 years later, talking to Somebody, I didn't expect that answer from him. I expected him to say, oh, you really should do it or something. And he said, no, that's totally right. That's great advice. So uh, looking back on your experience, these 10-ish years of doing tax planning and tax preparation for your clients, are there things that you'd go back and do differently, Tim, if you knew then what you know now? It's a great question. I, I don't think so. But I think that the approach that I took which was to, to act to be, so to speak. So to learn by doing and as you act, so you become. So I just started out doing taxes and I made some mistakes along the way. And earlier in, in my career, I started with a certain type of tax software. And later on, I found the need to have a more robust tax software. But that was all part of the progression as I became more educated and more competent in the profession. So I wouldn't go back and, and do anything different, no. I think if I got the chance to do a restart, the only thing that I would do differently, it wouldn't be the decision about, yes, let's go ahead and get deeply involved in our clients' tax lives. It would be that as soon as I'd made that decision, I would have begun studying for the EA. And what I've heard from our colleagues is that it's not so much having the designation that is making a, the biggest difference in their lives. It's what they learned studying for it and that gives them the foundation to really stay uh, on top of the kinds of tax rules that apply to their clients, the things that really matter to them. I, you know, Film production credits are probably never gonna cross my desk from any of my clients. I know they're a thing, but what's much more important to me is you know, how can I help the client in ways that maybe they don't even know we can add value? And tax is one of those. That's a good point because the guidance that I got early on, even from the ACP members, was don't become an EA right away. Just, just first of all, for all of us, you have to have clients. Otherwise, you don't have a business. So focus on getting clients, starting your business, and don't work, don't do the EA right away. But your point about getting the education component of that and how that could help is, is really something to think about. Yeah. I want to emphasize something that you mentioned earlier, which is having the brain trust of other ACP members to turn to and, you know, other people who are not just willing, but really eager to help a newer member with a newer practice navigate their way through those earlier tax returns, because we all remember what it was like to have to try to figure out something about the tax code that, you know, you just can't quite untangle. And we all remember being grateful for the help that we got. And I think maybe that's part of why it's so easy for us to say, of course, I have time to help you figure out the answer to this question on this tax return you're doing. That, that couldn't be more true. And if I didn't have this group to support me, not only would I not have been encouraged to do taxes at the beginning, but there's no way I would have made it through the learning process or it would have been a lot more difficult. So it really just made it possible in a very easy way. I think it also points out to me 
uh, when I think about what would it have been like if I stuck to my initial impression and said, nah, no taxes in my practice. I think about all the thousands upon thousands of dollars that my clients would have unnecessarily left on the table that instead can be focused on the things that are really important to them. And I'm very glad that our colleagues encouraged us to take the path that we did. I'm interested to know uh, your practice is called Copper Beach Advisors. Being a Sherlock Holmes fan, I know the story of the Copper Beaches, and I'm wondering if there's any connection between the two or how it was that you came to name your practice. (laughs) Well, I learned something today through this conversation because I didn't know about the Copper Beaches with regard to Sherlock Holmes. The reason why I named it Copper Beach Advisors is because I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. And there are many old Victorian estates still around in Chester County where it was very common to plant the copper beech tree. And at this point in time now, these trees are giant, magnificent trees that are 150, 175 years old. And they're, they're really ornamental trees. We have a place here called Longwood Gardens, which is a prominent garden and, and it's a destination for gardeners and, and plant lovers. And they have a giant row of copper beech trees within that estate that are very beautiful. And I just thought it signified a very local connection because I wanted my practice to be very local. My office is a 10-minute drive from my house, and that was a huge improvement from living in Hoboken and taking an hour and a half to get two miles as the crow flies to work. And it, it also is, it's, it's not a fast growing tree. So I, and I say this to clients when they ask me that it really is symbolic that if you make steady progress over a long period of time, that you can really achieve a, a beautiful result. And so I did, when I started my practice in 2009, I planted a copper beech tree in my yard as, as a reminder to that. So every day I can look out there and see as it matures and as I mature, we're both growing together in our old age. That's wonderful. I love that. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you, Ken. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Timothy Caban, EACFP, founder of Copper Beach Advisors with offices in Malvern, Pennsylvania. There's a link to Tim's website in our show notes. This is podcast number 19 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. For more than 25 years, ACP has trained advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.